Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. When I get to record some episodes, I feel almost like I need to write down every word that's said because I want to remember it. This is one of those episodes. There are just some lessons I wish I'd learned earlier and some things I learned over time just by putting myself in close proximity to great leadership. My friend Heather put a voice to a lot of the lessons I've learned but need to be reminded of and a whole lot more that I need to learn. I feel like I need to just stop talking because this episode truly does speak for itself. So let's get to it. Here's No One Told Me How to Step Into a Calling. All right, Heather. So we are going to jump into a conversation about your calling and leadership. And I know in our past conversations, I've said it and it still holds true. You have seen a lot of people come into their callings. You have helped people come into that. I know you did with me. You set me on the path to figuring out what it was to begin with. But you didn't always think you were going to be in ministry. I just think this is so interesting, Heather, that you went from a pretty specific field of study that had nothing to do with ministry. So what changed? How did you come into that calling? Well, I think that the short story is I was tricked into it. <laughs> um, some people have, you know, these poetic stories of God calling them, handwriting on the wall, knocked off the horse on the road to Damascus, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I was tricked into it. So, I, the, so the longer story is I, in the seventh grade, I decided I wanted to be a biological engineer. And it's because I'd gone to Epcot, and in one of the pavilions, there was this joint research project between NASA, USDA, and Epcot to develop life support systems and sustainable agriculture for the space industry. And I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. What kind of seventh grader were you, Heather? Weird. (laughs) Weird one. A a weird one. Yes. <laughs> when I took my four-year-old there uh, Disney in February, she fell asleep on the ride. So, you know, so she wasn't as still, invested as you were, we could say. No, I, was still, I was going through it again and like thinking, oh, maybe I should go back and take more science classes. Uh, so anyway, I went to LSU, I majored in biological engineering. I went and got a master's degree in biological engineering. And then at the end of my, my master's degree, I was invited to come to D.C. for a year to work in the U.S. Senate to work with a senator that was on the Environment Public Works Committee. It was a one-year assignment, and so I, I agreed to do that. And I started going to NCC, the National Community Church at that time. We were still meeting, and we were just one church in one location. We had not gone multi-site yet. We were meeting in the movie theater at Union Station. 
at the end of that year, I moved back to, or rather, I moved to Nashville to do work as an engineer for what I thought would be a long run on my job. I love my city. I loved what I was getting to do. And then wound up coming back to D.C. in 2001, shortly after 9-11, actually, to work full-time for that senator again. It was at that point that Mark Batterson approached me and said, hey, um, would you be willing to come on staff with us part-time for nine months to oversee small groups? In September, we're going to hire somebody full-time. I should have gotten more clarity on exactly what that meant. Um, <laughs> How old were you, Heather, when he asked this? Were you in your mid-20s, that. early 20s? How old were you? Yeah, I would have been, uh, I guess, it was 2011. I would have been about 25 when no. I moved back. We don't think to ask more questions at that age. We're just like, oh, that no. sounds good. <laughs> well, let me tell you something that's really crazy. I actually, when I met with him, I had a, a yellow legal pad filled with questions. <laughs> and we sat down to meet, and the phone started going berserk because a plane had crashed into the Pentagon. Oh. And what we came to discover later is that two planes crashed into the World Trade Center. I found that legal pad years later and realized I had a number of questions I had planned to ask that I never got to ask. That is that insane. Was, isn't that crazy? So that meeting was interrupted because, you know, I needed to go find my family and he needed to go find his family. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, yeah, that actually, I actually rarely felt that part of the story in all of this. But, yeah, the, the, the day that I sat down to ask all of my husband to make sure this was even something I wanted to do uh, never actually materialized. That's crazy. I mean, we started the meeting but didn't, didn't get to any of the questions. But I'm sure there were also even questions about that, that I just wouldn't have even thought to ask about. Mm-hmm. So, so who are you going to hire? When are you going to hire them? How long am I committing to? So there were seven small groups at the time. I thought, oh, yeah, this is easy. So, you know, working full-time on the Hill, part-time at the church. Three and a half years later, I'm still, still working Still no hire? St- still haven't made that hire yet? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> full-time at the church. Well, in March defense, before those nine months were even up, he started talking to me about coming on full-time. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have a category for that. I didn't have a category for a couple reasons. One... I had a master's degree in engineering, and, you know, <laughs> I, that seemed like something I should do something with. Secondly, you know, I'm on the Hill, and that seems like a, a good gig as well. Yeah. Um, I, didn't I didn't have training for what he's asking me to do. Yeah. And then the, the other issue is I had not settled for myself yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they could do, what they should do uh, in the ministry world and, and what he was offering, the, the position he was asking me to fill, I wasn't entirely sure I could do. So that was another kind of a, a journey I needed to go on. Yeah. So now I'm making a long story even longer. I, I got to a point where I basically had two full-time jobs and had to pick. Mm. And, you know, I prayed, I fasted, I sought counsel. You know, I, I did everything that you're supposed to do to figure out what your calling is. Uh I did everything you're supposed to do to hear the voice of God. And I finally landed in this. It's also interesting, you know, I found that when I was fasting, God was incredibly talkative, just not about what I was asking him about. So I'm asking him, do I stay, do do I go back in engineering, do I stay on Capitol Hill, do I take this ministry role? And God had a lot to say, just never answered the question. So I finally just looked at where I was seeing the most fruit, where I was feeling the most fulfilled, and where I was having the most fun. And when I looked at each of those questions, the, the answer every time kept coming back to what I was doing in the church. 
And so that's what prompted me to make that jump. I mean, it, it sounds to me like you were tricked into it. I'm going to back you on that. That's that's a pretty accurate description for how you ended up full time at NCC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was tricked. I was totally tricked. Um, here's what's interesting, Kelly. I, you know, there are a couple of things that I think sometimes God gives us these little windows into divine destiny. I'm in the middle, like, towards the tail end of making this decision. And my sister reminded me that when we were kids, we used to play church. Huh. You know, normal kids, you don't go back to my abnormality. Normal kids play school and play house. <laughs> my sister and I played church. You know, it was like there was this little window in my young life of something that God was up to that didn't materialize or manifest for, you know, decades. But I do think that in our life we can go back and we can almost reverse engineer to see the calling that God has put on yeah. our lives. What you just said, you know, you can look back and you see little windows. And that's when it's so important that you have people in your life that are helping you see that, what you don't necessarily see. You know, your sister yeah. pointing out, you don't remember we used to play church. Like you, that probably would not have even occurred to you had right. it not someone who was close to you, who knew you, who knew your heart in ways that maybe you didn't. And it is, it's a bit calling. All of those things are such big words and intimidating words. You know, I talk to a lot of people in their twenties and a lot of the time, the question that they ask me is, how do you know what you're called to do? I, now, I don't know why they're asking a 30-year-old that question, because good gravy, I'm still figuring it out too. But they ask, how do you know that you're right? Like, what if you get it wrong? Or, you know, can you miss your calling? And those are some of the hardest questions to answer. But what would your response be to those questions? I think it's really hard to know in your 20s with crystal clarity what you're called to do mm-hmm. beyond just following Jesus. Yeah. There's one thing I know with 100% certainty in our 20s that we're called to is to follow Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus. And, and I don't mean to over-spiritualize or to be super spiritual about this at all. It's just that calling is developed and crystallized and clarified over time mm. as we enter into certain experiences. Now, there are certain people in the Bible that God showed up to and gave specific calling to. You know, it happened to people like Abraham, it happened to people like Gideon, to Mary, to Paul. But most of the people in the Bible, if we take a big step back and we just look at people in the Bible, most of them found themselves just kind of falling into their calling because they were obedient in the situations that they were in. Now, you know, when we think about people like Esther and Daniel and Nehemiah, they were just being obedient in the circumstances in which they were put. And God then promoted them and built their platforms. I think calling is a little bit kaleidoscopic. Mm. There's what we're called to do, who we're called to do it, and where we're called to do it. And oftentimes in our 20s, those three things do not all come together at the same time. Because there are seasons in our life where God is developing in us the character we need to sustain the calling. And so don't try to get on the big platform too soon. Yeah. Because you want your failures to not be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And you want your platform to be very small when you fail. Mm. But failure is where integrity and character and perseverance and all of those things are, are born in you and grown in mm-hmm. you. And so you know, in your 20s, I, I just encourage people, you know, become a person of character. Develop the character you need to sustain the calling. Your character is more important than your calling in mm. your 20s. Just follow Jesus. Be obedient every step of the way. And just respond in obedience to the circumstances you're in. One word about, you know, you mentioned there's a fear of getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there have certainly been two moments in my life where I feared I was getting it wrong. 
One was coming out of high school into college where I actually was second-guessing the biological engineering pursuit. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling God, I'm going to stay up all night. I had this vision of, like, Jacob wrestling God in my mind. Yeah. I'm going to stay up all night. And just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I heard what I would describe as the inaudible but unmistakable laugh of God. Mm. (laughs) Basically putting the question before me, do you really think you haven't messed it up before? Because I was so scared of getting it wrong. I was so scared of making the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. I was so scared of making the mistake. But I completely minimized the sovereignty of God. And, and I'm not saying that we can't make stupid decisions or make stupid mistakes or allow sinful habits to lead us off the course that God has for us. But I think in most circumstances, when we are genuinely going after God, mm-hmm. being obedient to what he's asking us to do, He's got it, and he will get us to where he wants to go. Mm. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to make the wrong decisions. Yes, we're probably going to choose a path that maybe was not, you know, in the notes. But what's awesome about God is he works everything together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and for his glory. And so we just have to trust that God is going to get us where God wants us to go, and he wants to get us there even more than we want to get there. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. Be obedient to God and develop the character that you need to sustain the calling. Well, and you know, I've heard it taught this way too, Heather. It's exactly what you're saying. I love that you said the only thing you're called to do in your 20s is follow Jesus. And it's exactly what you said. It's when you're you're head down and pursuing Jesus, it's kind of hard to get it wrong because you're so centered on who he is and, and what he wants. I've never thought about it that way. And even the conversations I've had with a lot of the leaders who are coming up behind me right now, you know, a lot of it's on... Okay, let's say that you you have a grip on what you, you're meant to do. I, I know for me, I, I went in Scripture really hard in my mid-20s, and God was pretty plain through His Word what He wanted me to do. And it was, I'm meant to build platforms for people to hear about Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. But once you know that, Heather, like let's say you do have it in your heart and God's been pretty clear, how do you get to do it? Like what's, you know, you're you're trying to get there. You know what you want to do. And you feel like you got a pretty good reason for it. So what's the balance between humility and hustle, I guess, are the words I'll choose. Like, when do you wait faithfully and see what happens versus when do you just go after it as hard as you can? That is an excellent question. And and I think the answer can even change depending on the season that you're in. And that's a question I have to regularly go before God with. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, God, do you want me to make this happen? Or do you want me to wait and just receive this in a moment you want to give it to me? You know, I, there are two things that I value in young leaders. Like I'm looking for people who are both have humility and hustle. Mm-hmm. But finding those in a perfect rhythm and balance in a person or even developing that in rhythm in myself is really difficult. You know, knowing when you pursue the platform and when do you let you know, the platform pursue you. Mm. Again, I don't know that they have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. I think you can have hustle that is rooted in humility. And I think sometimes humility that doesn't have hustle attached to it is really a false humility. So I think they can work together. Again, it's about being obedient. It's about doing, you know, what you've been asked to do. And I think it's about leadership has to be given to you by someone else. Mm. Platform has to be given to you by someone else. And I think the more you do the little things like there's a big thing, 
but more opportunities you're going to get. When you're faithful in a little, you'll be entrusted with more. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically with young leaders, learning to walk through that season, learning to walk through that process is really important. I think it's also, I, this is a little bit random, but, but there's a story I share with a lot of young leaders just about patience and perseverance. Because I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is having patience and perseverance when you know you're gifted mm-hmm. and when you know you're ready and when you're ready to make a difference. A few years ago, a friend of mine who is a, a farmer talked to me about carrots. And, and she just asked me, do you know how carrots reproduce? And um, I was like, actually, no. And she said, well, here's the deal with carrots. If you want to plant a carrot, you know, season the ground and at the end of that season you can harvest a carrot it's a perfect carrot it looks like a carrot tastes like a carrot you know it smells like a carrot it's a perfect carrot but if you want that carrot to reproduce have you know results beyond its own life have influence greater than itself you have to leave that carrot in the ground let it overwinter and the next season the flowering stalk mm. shoots up and the leadership lesson in that is sometimes you feel like you know what your calling is and you know you're ready and you see other people getting picked over you. You know, it might not even be a pride thing. You legitimately know you're better than they are, but for some reason you got picked over. And that's where we have to trust the timing of God. That maybe he's wanting to do a deeper work in us to make our influence more reproducible, more lasting bigger than what we're able to do on our own. And so I think it's just being able to be patient in those seasons mm-hmm. and being showing hustle in what you have been entrusted with and doing it with humility and showing up over and over and over again, I think is what makes the difference. There's a book, which of course I've lost the name of right now, <laughs> uh, Making of a Leader. Okay. Making of a Leader by Bobby Clinton. It talks about the different stages of leadership. That in your 20s and 30s, what God is most after is your character. Hmm. In your 40s and 50s, that's when you're beginning to beginning to step into your sweet spot, where what you're called to do, where you're called to do it, who you're called to do it with, all aligns. Mm-hmm. And then in your 60s and 70s, it's the time to like pass it on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we spend our 20s and 30s frustrated because we're not getting to do what we want to do, instead of letting that character really shape us, taking some risks making some big failures so that we're ready to step into our sweet spot once mm. we hit kind of the, you know, the forties and fifties. And a big part of this, and that's what we touched on just a minute ago is I've been extremely blessed, lucky to have leaders in my life who helped me identify what I was good at. I look back at when I first started out and I had no idea what I was good. At. I was just, I was doing anything that came my way. And it was the, the trusted leadership over me that helped me, kind of figure out what my sweet spot was. And I'm still growing into that. I'm still figuring it out. Totally. What what it is and, and how it's changing and shifting when I change and shift. But I love just the idea of just kind of put your head down and work really hard. Yep. And, and like you said, do the small things like they're the big things. And you mentioned early in that, in the answer to that last question, that you appreciate when you see young leaders who, who have that both humility and hustle, and they, they're working on that balance. You appreciate that. What are some other attributes that you appreciate most in those who are coming up behind you? What really catches your eye? Yeah, I would add to those two. So, you know, there's humility, there's hustle. And then I would also add to it hunger. Somebody that is really, they're not satisfied with where they are in their growth. 
So mm-hmm. they're hungry to learn. They're hungry to try something. They're they're hungry to, to continue developing. And and so you know, within those categories of humility, hustle, and hunger, there there are several things. I mean, I, I already mentioned you know, people that are willing to do little things like this big thing, and then not make a big deal about it. That mm-hmm. catches my eye. You know, when I see a young leader who's doing something that's not their job portfolio, they haven't been asked to do, and they're not getting any credit for it, but they're willing to serve. That's a little thing, and they're doing it like a big thing. That catches my eye. I think people who ask good questions and people that, that when they, they want time with me, they bring a notebook and a pen, that demonstrates hunger to me. You know, I look for people who write things down and, you know, want to come back and think about and put into practice the things that we've talked about. You know, I, I really value people. There, there are some young leaders that they intentionally look for ways to add to my time and not take away from my time. And, and here's what I mean by that. And I love meeting with young leaders. Like, I love sitting down 30 minutes, an hour, a cup of coffee, let's talk about life and leadership. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love having people on my front porch talking life and leadership. But there are some young leaders that are very clever. They will just get involved in what I'm doing so that they can get more time for mentoring or get more time for growth. And they look for ways to add value and add to my calendar instead of just, you know, kind of take away. So, so that's another thing that I don't necessarily look for that, but one thing that I notice when I yeah. do it. For current leaders right now, and this kind of piggybacks off what we just talked about, how do you empower those who are coming behind you, who are spending that time with you or strategically placing themselves around you so they can learn from what you're doing? How do you empower them to lead? How can... Yeah current leader set up who's coming next to be successful? So whenever I engage in like a new project or if I'm doing a brainstorming meeting or, you know, putting together a team to work on a new project, I always look for three groups of people. One is who can bring something to the process, either because of their experience, their training, their knowledge, their expertise. They add value to the content itself, the project. Uh, Secondly, I look for, you know, who can bring someone to the process, meaning they're going to be a brand evangelist. Mm. But because they were a part of this, maybe they're not going to be the one that adds the most value, but they're going to be able to bring the most people along once we're done. And then a third group I look for is who can get something out of the process. And usually those are young leaders who, by just being around the table, are going to learn something, absorb something, and maybe that's going to help set them up in the future. So, I mean, number one is just bringing them to the table. I want young leaders coming behind me and current leaders that need empowering to be at the table of brainstorming, to be at the table of decision-making, to be at the, so I mean, basically be in the room where it happens um, and, and let their voice count in that space. I think take them on the road. You know, in, in, in a previous podcast, when we talked about community, I talked about how Ryan and I had actually had some people come live with us for seasons. Mm-hmm. I also tend to like, try to never travel alone. Yeah. And that's not so I have a, a moral check, you know, somebody to make sure I'm not doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But because when you're on the road with someone, it is amazing time for them to learn. Yeah. You know, they can, again, I can sit across the coffee with them and talk about, you know, how to be a person of humility and how to be a person of hustle and all that. And then, but then when they see how I react, when my flight gets canceled for the third time. Yeah. Or, they see how I respond when I have a rousing ovation after a conference speak, or mm-hmm. I fail completely on the platform. Like seeing that, taking them on the road gives them an opportunity to see leadership in a very raw space. Yeah. And then more importantly, maybe it 
introduces them to a network so that maybe next time they're the ones getting invited mm. to that platform. And so that would be the third one is just put them on the platform. Like yeah. you've got to give young leaders an opportunity to communicate, an opportunity to lead, put them on the platform, and then finally give them the decision. We have to empower the leaders coming behind us to make the decisions. And sometimes I think as leaders, that means we have to have the discernment when we know they're making a bad decision. Sometimes we have to step in and keep that from happening because we know that the ripple effect will be devastating organizationally or relationally. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we have to let them make the mistake and then as their leader take the heat for it Mm -hmm. because that's how they're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And if we don't empower them and give them opportunities to fail, then they're not going to learn all the lessons about leadership they need to learn. So the more we can give decisions away, even if they're decisions we disagree with, I think that empowers the leaders coming behind us. And Heather, I've seen this play out. I've just learned this probably within the past year. It has been one of the most real lessons that I've learned. Just the power in believing in someone. And that's exactly what you're saying is, Hey, I'm going to give you this platform because I believe in you and what you're capable of doing. And when you have that behind you, you feel like maybe I I can do this. Like they think I'm capable. It makes me feel like I am capable. It's just that power in, in believing. And even, you know, the, what you can learn from proximity. A lot of times we think we have to have like these sit down conversations and you pretty much what we're doing right now, give me all the knowledge in your head right now. And if we don't get that, we think, well, we're not learning anything when really for me, the greatest lessons I've learned have been based on proximity. It's just been exactly what you said. I've watched how leaders have handled situations, good and bad. And I have taken away huge lessons just from watching I mean, even for you, do you feel the pressure of that a little bit too? I mean, I'm just thinking through these scenarios and when you're in those leadership positions, it does mean people are watching. Like they want to see how you handle stuff. (laughs) Totally. All eyes on you, Heather. I hope you pull it together when that, um, when the Washington Nationals lose next time. I just, (laughs) I don't. You know, there there, there are two moments in his correspondence with the church at Corinth that Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I've always found that challenge really fascinating because on the one hand, it takes a lot of pressure off of leadership. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to be the smartest person in the room. It doesn't mean that you have to be the most theological or be the best decision maker, the best communicator. It simply means saying, it's just an invitation. Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Do Mm. what I do as I'm, you know, doing my thing with Jesus. But on the other hand, you're saying, imitate me. And I don't know on any given day how much I really want people imitating. I hear that. Oh, my gravy, I hear that. (laughs) Which means, you know, if we're leading those coming behind us, we've got to remember that the most important person we'll ever lead is ourselves. Yeah. And we've got to be leaders that are worth following. So, yeah, it's it's a scary thing. You know, there are scenarios when you're not necessarily in that leadership position. Maybe you are just, you're in proximity to it. Maybe you're close to it. Maybe you get to partner with a, a strong leader or... You know, maybe you're maybe you're at home and, you know, you're trying to, to lead your kids towards Jesus, whatever it might be. I think in every scenario, in every season, there's a little bit of leadership to it. But how do you lead when you're not on paper in a leadership position? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, John Maxwell writes a lot about leadership and but uses the word influence. Mm. And, and he talks about, you know, leadership really is influence. 
And everybody influences somebody. Mm. The question is, are you influencing them for the good or the bad? You know, are you adding value or are you, you know, subtracting value? You know, I think in an organizational setting, you know, learning to lead, I mean, obviously, we, we tend to think of leadership as leading down, like there's a hierarchy. If I'm the leader and the people following me, I lead them. But there's also leading across, like leading your peers, like mm. leading across departmentally or leading in, leading people that are, you know, on kind of the same level as us organizationally. And then there's leading up. We actually have the ability to influence the leaders that are above us. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is mm. you know, how do you lead when you don't have the title and, or you're sitting in the second chair, or you don't, you're not on the platform, you don't get to make the decision. And I think one thing there is, I think we can learn our leader. The more we can be students of our leader and learn our leader, their preferences, their rhythms, their likes, their dislikes, then we can serve their vision better. Mm. And when you're serving the vision of another, and, so, and I mean, this has to be genuine. It can't, you know, this can't be a fake thing. It can't be a, oh, I'm just doing this so that I can influence. But when yeah. a leader knows that you are genuinely, honestly committed to their vision, you're going to have influence in that space. Mm. And so learning your leader, I think, is, is one step to that. I think just being consistent, you know, helps you influence. Again, it's, again, it's doing the little things like they're the big things. The minute we think a task is below us is the minute our influence begins to wane. You know, again, just continuing to grow your character to sustain your calling. When you're in the second chair or you don't have that leadership title, you have to lead relationally and and not positionally. Mm. And actually, there's some big benefits to leading. I think when you have to learn how to lead relationally, it makes you lead positionally much, much better. Mm. So having seasons of having to lead relationally is, is good. It's also helpful because it means you get to influence, but then you're not the one that's left holding the mess if it doesn't go that well. pays the price, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and, and you you don't, you can influence without being the, you know, having the pressure of being the final decision maker. Mm. Um, so I actually think having seasons of leading alongside or leading up are really better positions to be in than when you're the one organizationally and positionally in the leadership role. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just through surveys and everything else, we have learned that a lot of the, our listeners are positioned to be leaders that, that's coming in their future. And whether it's through personality or through position they're in now or relationally where they're at, well, you just touched on, it's coming down the pipe. And I think practically, I always like to get kind of practical with how in this season, maybe you are currently a leader or maybe you have it, you have sights on it in the future. What are ways you can grow that area of your life? You don't want to be the kind of person who gets put in a position and you're like, wait, what am I doing? What is, what is, why am I in this position? What am I meant to be doing at this point? And sometimes maybe yeah. you're thrown into position and you don't get led in that position. You know, you're just kind of expected right. to right. figure it out. Um, yep. What are some practical ways that you can get better and grow in this area, whether it is at home, at work, or in your community group, or whatever it might be? What what could that look like? When I think about personal growth, and again, I, I think if, if we want to be leaders worth following, we have to lead ourselves well. Like, mm. we've got to, you know, a lot of us are good at putting together, like, a growth plan for somebody coming behind us, but are we putting together growth plans for ourselves? For me, you know, I... I think in terms of four categories, I think of rhythms, routines, relationships, and resources. Um, so for me, 
rhythms is about having certain things I'm doing daily, you know, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, maybe annually. Um, for, for example, my husband and I have a monthly meeting. I mean, it's on the calendar, and we use that time to go over our calendar, to go over our goals and priorities, talk about budget, finances. Mm. Um, that's a part of our regular rhythm, and it helps us as a family. It helps us grow as parents. It helps us grow in our marriage. We have an annual prayer retreat that we do. Uh, on a more individual level, I, I take my year and I divide it into, you know, somewhere between six to eight seasons. Because I think sometimes when we think growth, we think, well, I'm going to start doing this new habit or I'm going to start this new thing uh, and I'm going to do it in infinitum. I'm going to do it in perpetuity. And then we're, you know, a month in and, like, we're bored or it's not working anymore and so we just quit. Mm-hmm. And so for me, dividing my year into the rhythm. Then I put and I practice different routines within helps keep that sustainable. Mm-hmm. So you know there might be a one season of the year where I read through the entire Bible in you know fifty days, and then I'll another rhythm it won't be that intense. You know maybe I'm reading through Proverbs, maybe I'm just meditating on one. So rhythms is important, like figuring out a rhythm that is sustainable, and then routine. Those are the things that, you know, the spiritual disciplines, the practices. I tend to think in categories. So I tend to think in terms of what am I doing to grow spiritually, to grow physically, to grow in my intellectual capacity or my leadership. That's where, you know, I'm learning things. And then adventures or experiences, things like that. Mm. Um, categories could be by, they could be financial, they could be relational. But what are the routines? What are the things I'm doing to intentionally grow in each of those areas? And so with leadership, and leadership is usually an area that I've, I've got some goals in, then it, it's looking at resources. So what books am I reading? What podcasts am I listening to? What webcasts? What classes am I taking? Kind of putting a syllabus together for growth in that area of leadership or growth in that area of, of spiritual development that I'm wanting to pursue. And then the fourth category is relationships. I'm always wanting to be intentional about thinking, who am I investing in? Who is investing in me? Mm. And then who has the ability to ask me anything at any time for any reason about anything in my life? So I think those four categories, rhythms, routines, relationships, resources, when I think about growth. And that keeps it fresh. It keeps it something that I'm, I'm revisiting yeah. several times a year. You know, it keeps the routines from becoming routine, if that makes any sense. Yeah. What What are, you know, you mentioned that you, you look at other great leaders, you listen to podcasts. What are some that you listen to or, or pay special attention to? You know, one that I just keep coming back to over and over again, Carrie Newhoff's podcast yes. for leaders yeah. is fantastic. It really, I probably listen to a couple episodes. He has so much content, it's insane, but I'll probably listen to a couple episodes a week because they are they're gold. I agree with that. There's so much, so much good there. Um, you know, Andy Stanley has a podcast for uh, leaders. I'm honestly not sure how regular that one is, and maybe it is regular. I'm not sure, but I tend to just pop in and out of that one. Honestly, I, there are, with the exception of, of maybe Carrie, I tend to look more for specific topics mm-hmm. and then pop in and listen to those as opposed to listening to like one person. Yeah regularly yeah and, and i think where i got hung up a little bit with podcasts one time my phone was so loaded with podcasts <sighs> i didn't have time to listen to that i kind of just stopped for a season yes you know? it was too overwhelming i knew i would never bring that number down i just needed to stop <laughs> right right and so again i tend to kind of think through what topic am i wanting again with the, in the in the season i'm in what am i wanting to lean into right now am yeah. i wanting to become a better communicator am i going to want to call it teamwork 
do I want to grow in managing contracts? Or, you know, I, I figure out what is the specific area I want to grow in, and then and then I'll go find specific podcasts or webcasts or webinars or you know classes that yeah. are related to that. Well, and even dividing up your year. Most great leaders are pretty disciplined people. You know, like it takes discipline to sit down and say, okay, right. I'm going to divide it up. And it's not always comfortable. I know for me, sometimes it feels like, well, I've got other things I would rather be doing than sitting here and thinking about my year. <laughs> but it, right. even when you said that you and your husband sit down and, and go over stuff, I thought we should do that. And then my second thought was, we'll never do that. But, <laughs> but it is. It's hard. I it, mean, you have to put it on the calendar and like, Yeah, it's just that discipline. Yeah, and that's just what I appreciate. And I think that's like what sets a lot of people apart is the ability to have that discipline and to know I'm not going to love it while I'm doing this, but it's going to pay off over the moon later on that I've sat down and and done that. So that's one huge takeaway for me because there are just some... Some things I'm like, "Eh, it'll just figure itself out. And there are some things that I'm going to have to get a little uncomfortable and have the discipline to sit down and plan so I can grow into, yeah. into a better leader and person in general, really better wife. Ryan would really appreciate that shared calendar to come about. <laughs> I mean, he would, he would really love that. But Heather, you know, you learned on the last podcast, we love finishing our episodes with one question and that's what are you so happy someone to tell you about? I know you had mentioned the good place before. What else are you into now? <laughs> so. Um, the good place, yeah, I, 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 that show is amazing. Um, so <laughs> here's, this is going to, we talked about how much a nerd I am, even beginning in the seventh grade. And I maybe was going to say, earlier, like, any seventh back. grader whose favorite part of Disney World is something about bioengineering, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say you're a little nerdy, and I love you for it. <laughs> We're just going to continue riding that train. I'm going to tell you about an author that I'm really into right now. His name is Mark Nanos. And he is like a historical theologian that looks at the life of Paul. And the reason I love his book is that he's looking at Paul as a Jewish man. Most of Paul's writings, most of the New Testament, was interpreted by Gentiles, by mm-hmm. non-Jewish people. And what Nanos is proposing is that we've missed a lot of the points that Paul is making. In fact, we've, we've turned into a lot, we've started a lot of arguments about what Paul meant when we're totally missing the point of what he meant because we're not understanding him within his Jewish context mm. and culture and time in history. So if anybody's like kind of geeked out on New Testament or specifically the writings of Paul, I highly recommend. Listen, Mark I was, I was so, prepared for you to say something that was going to go way over my head, but I'm actually very interested in what you just said. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And, and his writing is very accessible. And um, I really thought you were going to say something like, he wrote a book about Paul and just the, the how they bioengineered the, the sand that he walked across. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was about to be like, Heather, you have missed your audience if you think we're going to get yeah, on board. Yeah. <laughs> but you surprised oh. me. I'm actually extremely interested. That does sound, I, I would actually probably enjoy reading that. So touche to you, Heather. You got me there. You, you got me. Well, again, I can't, I'll never say it enough. And I'm, I'm thankful for the way that you pour into the people around you intentionally and with the wisdom. I think I have about two pages worth of notes from just this one short conversation. So we appreciate you, Heather. Uh, We're going to link to uh, the books that you mentioned, the authors that you mentioned, and we're going to link to your books. We mentioned them in the last podcast that you jumped on here, but um, those are anyone who's seeking out community or how to build it or how to maintain it. 
these are books you want to get in your library. So we'll link to those <laughs> as well. Heather, you're the best there is. Listen, I am not going to say go LSU. I know you're a big fan of them. <laughs> I will say go Washington Nationals. I can get behind that just because I love baseball there we go. in general. Thanks. So we'll find some middle ground there. But thanks so much for being here today, Heather. love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.